So we're in our third Sunday in Advent uh, this morning, and we're going to go uh, off our scripture readings uh, again, which we're not going to do the full scripture. If you're following um, our scripture, we, we use a, a lexicon from Vanderbilt. I don't know if we make those public or not, um, but there's usually an Old Testament reading, uh, a reading from the prophets, a reading from the Psalms, and a New Testament gospel reading, and then a reading from the epistles every week. Uh, and we follow, it follows the church calendar. There's a three-year cycle. And in those three years, you cover all the major uh, sections of Scripture, and it might even hit every book. But, and so today, we're looking at Zephaniah, which is a minor prophet. It's between Habakkuk and, it's another H, Haggai. So you guys should know exactly where that's at. Uh, and we're specifically going to be looking at verses... Fourteen through twenty, but uh, just like most things, so our our theme for this week in Advent is joy, and those um, those that selection from Zephaniah kind of um, gives us our basis for for joy and what we'll be discussing this morning. But like most things, uh, I'm going to put this in context. So I what I did was took the whole book of Zephaniah and instead of sitting up here and reading the entire book so that you guys get a good contextual understanding of where the joy comes from and why uh, the last five or six verses of Zephaniah uh, speak the way they do, I've just uh, taken select verses from the whole book, uh, put them in order, and to kind of summarize the whole thing. So um, you can kind of follow along. We might have the scripture readings on the screen behind us, um, but I'll let you know when we actually get to our uh, scripture reading for today. But I'm going to try to summarize through the reading the entire book of Zephaniah. So let's pray before we get started. Uh, Father, we pray that your spirit would be here to help us to hear your word, to understand it, and to convey it uh, as you would intend. Let your words uh, come here. Let you rule uh, in the midst of us this morning through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so let's start uh, with Zephaniah 1.1. That's a good place to start for context. Uh, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah, against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Be silent before the Lord, for the days of the Lord is for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Seek the Lord, all you, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they all shall graze. 
and in the house of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom, and the Amorites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits, and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no one, she accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord, she does not draw near to her God. I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove you from the midst of your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave you in the midst of people humble and lowly, they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. And this is where our scripture reading actually begins. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. Then I will restore your fortunes before the eyes, says the Lord. So that gives us a little bit more context of a summary. Uh, A lot of times we like to read the happy verses, the rejoice, the Lord is singing over you. He is going to restore your fortunes. And it kind of doesn't make any sense if you don't put it in context. And so, like most of the minor prophets, uh, like most of the major prophets, uh, like Christ himself, uh, like John the Baptist, uh, he's preaching this really popular message of the Lord is going to judge you. (laughs) And everybody loved it. Uh, No, but... um, But so this is the time of King Josiah, after Josiah had found uh, the law of the Lord and started to restore the fortunes, and so just thinking, you kind of have to think when the Lord puts in the scriptures of what time period this is in, of how the Lord is practically working in his people. Um, obviously, he's going to restore them by uh, restoring the law and restoring uh, the word, but, uh, uh, but Zephaniah is coming, and he's preaching that there is coming a judgment. There is, you guys have fled from the Lord, you guys have become idolatrous, you guys have not seek justice, 
you guys, uh, one of the major um, dealings against Israel is that they have not taken any correction. They have not uh, received correction, and they have therefore rejected the Lord. And so when we start um, our scripture readings, uh, the kind of general theme of our verses here is the Lord is lifting his judgments. And it doesn't say that these people are working and they're doing something, and then the Lord's like, oh yeah, well, you guys aren't that bad after all. I'll just go ahead and negate what I was going to do. Uh, no, it just starts with that. There is a right judgment from the Lord coming. His, he has a righteous anger. There is indignation against his people and against the other nations. Um, just for, if any of our, uh, our friends in, uh, in India are watching, we're going on Thursdays through a Bible study of, we're doing a, a survey of the Old Testament. And so it's been three weeks, uh, and we meet for about two hours every week, and we've gotten through five verses so far. Uh, so we're going like <laughs> really slow, uh, but that's what we want to do. And so when there's this, you know, in Zephaniah, there's this recreation motif that's, he's saying, I am going to wipe out everything, right? There's constantly through scriptures, there's these major themes of creation, fall, decreation, and then restoration. And so the Lord says he's, you know, in the first couple of verses of chapter one, he says that he is going to utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. So that should sound familiar, right? There's other places in scripture where we see the Lord doing that. Um, and then, you know, in those places, there's always this remnant of people. So a major theme throughout the scriptures is that there's a remnant of God's people that he's saving for his purpose. And he's going to show them grace. Uh, and it's that remnant that is going to, to fill the earth. And so uh, the major theme of our verses are the Lord's lifting his judgments. Uh, he's coming and being in the midst of his people. He's removing their enemies and oppressors. He's going to strengthen their hands. He's going to turn them from the shame of the earth and make them the renowned and praised of the earth. And we're going to see how that fits in uh, with the advent and coming of our king. And so with our scripture verses, it starts with shout aloud, sing, uh, shout al sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And so Zephaniah is following in a long line of prophets who are using this terminology of the daughter of Zion or the daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, Ezekiel uses it, Isaiah, Zechariah, Micah, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, and Lamentations. Uh, and then Song of Solomon uses it more than anybody else. And so this term, even what, we're say, what, even what he's saying, saying here, he's not saying everybody in Israel. He's not saying all of the people. He's clearly coming with a judgment. Uh, but now he's speak, speaking specifically to uh, the daughter of Zion or the, the daughter of Jerusalem. So uh, I forgot to say my caveat. This is 930, so this isn't a sermon, so this is a, a give and take. We talk back to each other here. So what is, what's the first thing like, uh, about daughter of Zion? What is that indicating about who it is? Family. Uh, it's the next generation. It's a, it's a lineage. It's not uh, the grandfather going up. It's not, oh, granddaughter or, or grandfather or mother of Israel talking about the uh, preceding generation, right? So I'm about the next generation. These are children. These are offspring. This is a family, right? And so he's, he's prophesying about this coming destruction and about this, this coming people, 
uh, with his people who are going to be the remnant, right? And so that's a major uh, theme throughout the scriptures. And you can just do a word search of like daughter of Zion or daughter of Jerusalem to see how often it's used. Um, but most notably, um, so he's talking to the remnant of Israel who's, who's going to be free from judgment because we'll find that in the next verses. Uh, but Jesus, as he's carrying the cross, he cries out the same, in the same way the prophets in, in Luke, I didn't put a chapter, I think it's 23. Uh, Christ himself, as he's carrying the cross, says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things while the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And so this is very specifically Jesus is pointing to that remnant of Israel, those people who are following him and staying faithful of a, of a judgment coming and a persecution. And so uh, Jesus prophesies in the same way. And so the daughters of Zion, uh, here they're called to rejoice. They're called to sing. Why are they singing? They're free from judgment. It's the next verse, right? Uh, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The Lord has cleared away his enemies. And so the Lord's mercy upon you shall reign, uh, and, and it's going to be your source of humility. So if you go back to verse 12, in chapter 3, um, let me open up my Bible. He says, but I will, ne I will uh, leave you in the midst of people humble, humble and lowly. And so uh, when the Lord's coming in a judgmental way and he's looking for the remnant, the people he's going to leave is this humble, this lowly. He's not looking for the most wealthy or the highest class. He's looking for character traits, right? Or that's what he's going to bring about. Or that's what he's intended to bring about. Um, and so this humility acknowledges God's righteous judgments, uh, but yet it rejoices in his mercy. So it goes on to say, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Wouldn't that be great if like, we operated that way? Like, never again had any fear, any anxiety, any worry, didn't fear uh, any evil, any of the days to come. Wouldn't that be great? That's what we're called to, right? That's the reality of what we actually live in. And so when we come and sing on, uh, on Advent, I think I heard them practicing in uh, probably my favorite Christmas uh, song or hymn or whatever that we sing is uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because the first line is uh, to ransom captive Israel. And it's really hard to like, get past that line uh, like without crying for me, because that's our state. That's where you have to realize what Christ is saving you from. He's saving you from captivity. And if he doesn't save you, you're still captive. You're not going to be set free. If he doesn't come uh, and, and clear away the enemies, it's never going to happen, right? Um, and so there isn't, so scripturally, what we're looking at is there isn't one enemy that Christ isn't going to put under his feet. Uh, and so, here's a little side story, because uh, I like side stories. Um, so, recently I had Lily uh, memorize Psalm 23. 
And that's because uh, she was waking up in the middle of the night and saying, I'm scared, uh, you know, knocking on the door, and it's like 3 in the morning, and I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. Uh, what can we do to not have you wake up in the middle of the night? Uh, well, here's an idea. Uh, let's use the, the scriptures. Um, and so she's scared of the dark or something, uh, and she really is waking up in the middle of the night and really is scared. And so we memorize Psalm 23, and everybody knows the, the line. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, right? And so that's every evil. That's uh, every evil that comes upon us. That's fear of, of darkness. That's fear of the future. That's uh, fear of robbers, real robbers, right? And not to mean that there's not going to be real fear, um, but that, there's not, that, that there doesn't have to be fear. And so uh, I had her memorize Psalm 23, and we used it, and when she'd wake up in the middle of the night, we'd go and I'd take her back to her room, uh, lie her in bed, we would uh, recite Psalm 23, and she'd go back to bed. In about a week, uh, it took about a week, this was a few months ago, uh, she stopped waking up in the middle of the night. And so, um, but that's a major, major part of who we are as a people is using the word, right, using the promises and scriptures to defeat the enemy, right? And, and in this case, there really is fear, right? What, uh, if you know the story through the book of Kings and Chronicles, uh, it's not going to go well for Israel. They're going to be taken captive uh, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and there really is an enemy to fear, right? Uh, a lot of them are going to get killed. And so there are real oppressors, um, and there are real enemies, and there's really two main enemies. There's enemies from without, and there's enemies from within. And so, just to keep everybody in light of um, what's going, not just what's going on in the world, but specifically what we're trying to do is plant a church in Bangalore, India, uh, in the state of Karnataka. And right now, India is the 14th, is, is listed as the 14th most persecuted uh, country in the world. And Karnataka is the third most persecuted state in India. And so uh, I get a, a daily email that talks about uh, different Christian happenings in the world. And they seem to have a focus on India because um, there's a lot going on in India right now. Uh, but this was about two weeks ago. Uh, just to give you an idea of what it's like for the church in India. Uh, in Bangalore, they're relatively safe. It's bigger than New York City. And the, the big cities, there's less persecution. But as you get to the outlying cities and the villages, um, I talked with a lot of the guys this week, and uh, a lot of the Hindus persecute them uh, just because they know they can get away with it. There's not a, a lot of government oversight in the villages. And so it was about two weeks ago uh, in the state of Karnataka, the same state that just about all our Indian contacts live, even though it was an outlying village, there was a pastor uh, who was getting... Uh, um, uh, rushed, essentially rushed by some radical Hindus, and they wanted, they were probably going to kill him. And um, church members, I'm assuming men, uh, linked arms and created a fence between him, uh, a human fence, so that they wouldn't hurt him, so they wouldn't be able to get him. And uh, that lasted for about an hour before any help came. Reminds me of, I think it's Acts 16, when uh, they're in Ephesus, and they're yelling, you know, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, and they're trying to get Paul 
uh, and it says they kept going and they kept going, right? Uh, I couldn't imagine uh, linking arms with a lot of guys in here uh, to protect somebody who uh, is trying to get killed for an hour. And so there really are oppressors out there where we really are starting to, uh, uh, trying to plant a church in this state where there's real enemies who really want to kill you. Um, but there's also enemies within, right? Ephesian, uh, through the gospel we know and through the epistles we know that uh, our main enemies within, uh, within ourselves is sin. Jesus Christ himself says that uh, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And if you remember in John 8, the, the wise Pharisees say, we've never been enslaved. And it's like, you didn't read the book of Exodus. But whatever. Um, right? And so there's enemies within and there's enemies without. But Christ is coming as king. That's what we're looking at in Advent, is he's coming to crush and destroy all those enemies. Right? He says he's, uh, there's no reason to fear. All of them are going to get wiped out. Uh, I love Jeremiah 20:11. It says, "But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior or a dread champion." Does anybody remember what a dread champion is? That's what. Not with dreadlocks, uh, although they might have. It was like it was like Goliath, right? And so in the old times, uh, you know, when there was real battles uh, and, and wars with swords and bows and arrows and whatever they used. Um, instead of when two armies would go to battle, they would choose a dread champion or a champion of that battle and say, well, uh, you know, everybody here, if it was this side of the pews versus this side, everybody's got, you know, wives and children to go to. Why don't we just send out our best warrior from here and our best warrior from here, and they will battle, and whoever wins, they will be a representative of the army. And if this side wins, we're not, this side's, just, you know, is defeated and accepts loss, and they'll, they've already drawn out agreements of to what's going to happen, which is usually one side is going to be the, uh, the sovereign and one side is going to be the vassal. And so they're going to have to pay taxes and essentially be enslaved to them uh, and their government hierarchy. And so, but the Lord's coming as a dread champion. And so when we see that, like with David and Goliath, right, they put out one warrior, and Israel's looking for another warrior, but everyone's uh, running with their tails between their legs. And uh, it's young Rudy David who uh, grabs a couple stones and uh, ends up becoming the champion, right? Um, and so, but, so, the, so Jeremiah says that the Lord is with us like a dread champion. He's fighting on our behalf. He is the head of the army, right? Uh, again, uh, what we talked about, Psalm 23... Um, and so one of the ways you can actually understand and gauge for yourself if you're on the path to maturity uh, is by not just what you're fearing, but whether you're submitting to that fear, right? Uh, we could easily say that, like, well, maybe I've got no fear and I'll do stupid things like walk on the roof with no safety harness and climb things. Like, maybe that's not, that's not the fear we're talking about and that's not the... That's not the maturity that we're looking for, nor would that be maturity, right? But so whatever you fear is your master. The scriptures make that correlation over and over, right? Uh, whoever you fear or whatever you fear, that is uh, what's in charge of you. Um, 
uh, I know when I had, I had dealt with some anxiety in a period of my life, and it really is hard to get over when you have like bodily reactions to, to real you know, social situations or something to submit to that, right? I think we've all done that. Um, if anybody's had to like public speak, you know, or the first couple times you do, you have to be like, oh no, like people are gonna like say something or uh, I'm gonna look stupid. And it's like, well, probably gonna look stupid even if I don't get up here, so what's the difference, right? And you start to uh, realize it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, it's what you're, whatever you're fearing is whatever you're submitting to, and that is your master. And so when you can kind of understand and use it as a gauge of, like, where your maturity is, is how you're responding to fear and anxieties and worries and whether you're submitting to it and whether the fear of the Lord is dominating your life over the fear of the future or fear of loss or fear of, you know, put in X, Y, and Z, right? And so, going on to verse 16, on that day uh, it shall be said of Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let your hands, let not your hands grow weak, right? So this isn't a passive substitution for work because the king is in our midst, right? This isn't a, a passive, well, Jesus is here and he's going to take care of it, so I'm just going to sit back and he's going to do everything and now I can be lazy, right? It's not that. Uh, because he's here, you had better perk up, right? When in the narrative of David and Goliath, what happens after uh, David, the dread champion, defeats Goliath? Yeah, he does chop his head off. He puts it on the stake. He takes it to the king. But then the rest of the army rushes and pursues the Philistines, Philistines, and they continue to mow them down in victory until it's complete, right? We're called in the same way. Uh, uh, we all... Maybe we use it as a benediction quite a lot. I know John Gray has done it as we've gone through the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 16, uh, I think it's 20, says, like, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, right? As a benediction, that's our promise. That's what we're moving forward. Uh, you're resting in the Lord. Come and worship him. And through the rest of your week, go and uh, take the grace of the Lord upon you and crush Satan under your feet in every area, in every arena, and go and do it. And we'll meet back on Sunday, and we'll discuss who we killed and how we killed him and how the Lord was victorious, and then we'll worship him, and then we'll do it again next week. Right? That's our calling. It's not a passive, because the, because the Lord is here, and he theoretically and in our minds is seated here on our throne, in our midst somewhere, that we can just sit back and relax. It says, let your hands, let not your hands grow weak. Right? So essentially the war is over. Um, and so one of the ways, uh, putting in context with, of what's going on with Zephaniah in the time of Josiah, uh, uh, who remembers Joshua 1, 8, and 9? That's a pretty popular one. John Luke does. I knew he would, so go ahead, John Luke. What's Joshua 1, 8, and 9? Yeah. So constantly the Lord in the scriptures is saying that you've got the word, you've got the law, and the Lord is present with you, and go. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Uh, that was the, essentially the command here in Zephaniah uh, as Josiah found the book of the law 
and reinstituted the sacrifices and worship in Israel, right? The Lord is with you wherever the, the word is, right? Meditate on a day and night. Take it with you. Go and be strong and courageous and take that word and go out and uh, take some captives, right? Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing, right? As Christians, this is where we live. We live on the identity of what Christ is speaking and saying over us, right? Not what, uh, honestly, not what our, it doesn't matter what our parents say uh, if it's not in accordance with the word. It doesn't matter what our professors say if it's not in accordance with the word. It doesn't matter what anybody says if it's not in accordance with the word. Uh, many times, as we saw earlier from a commendation from, um, from Zephaniah, is he'll use those people as a means of correction, uh, but we don't find our identity in them. We don't find our identity in, in what other people think, right? That's another mark of maturity is, you know, people's opinions uh, don't really matter if it's not from the Holy Spirit and it's not from the Lord, right? And so we kind of live here. This is where we live as the army of God, as the people of God, that the Lord, he's here in the midst. He's the one who saves. He's a dread warrior. Uh, and he is rejoicing over us with gladness. And he will just quiet you by his love. Uh, I don't know why this image came in, into my head, but I'm sure there's like a real uh, kind of example with humans. But the first thing I thought of, like, you guys ever had like a yippy dog or like, you know, those dogs that like bark and, and like as an owner, the owner will just like go on and like lay his hand gently like on the dog's head and the dog will just be like, kind of sit quietly. You guys have seen, has anybody seen that? Maybe some people have dogs like that. Uh, as far as I know as a congregation, we're not really a pet people, but, but that's kind of what came to my mind is you kind of think that, that that quiet stillness of like that, it's a submission. It's a, the Lord is just pouring out his love and putting his hand on like your head or your back and just and it quiets you. It's a, it's a quiet, peaceful um, kind of spirit. He says, he will exalt over you with loud singing. And so you kind of look at the refrain here is, sing, O daughters of Jerusalem. So we're singing, and then the Lord's singing over us, and then we're going to sing back to him, and then he's going to sing over us, and we're just going to keep singing, right? Verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the, la the lame. That's a lot of us. And gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes... Uh, that's an interesting phrase because in the King James it says, I will release you or release you from captivity. Uh, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So one thing we're rejoicing in and singing over in Advent is just like we'll sing in uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is that it is the ordinary, regular work of the Lord to take the lowly, the humble, the rejected, the losers, uh, and turn them into the renown of the earth. That is God's plan. That is his normal work on the small scale and the big scale. 
right? We looked at the, uh, uh, just in, at the day of Pentecost, there was out of all, the total nation of Israel, I think there were millions of members, as far as I know, at least millions of Jews dispersed uh, throughout the Roman colonies. And there was a whole total of 120 uh, degenerate prostitutes, fishermen, uh, who the Lord had chosen to be his remnant to fill the earth, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the first people to receive the new covenant, 120 out of, out of millions, right? And from there, the seeds planted, right? With the, the kingdom of God is going to grow uh, and fill the earth. It's like leaven that's going to be uh, mixed in, you know, all the way. And so that is, that is regular. We should be regularly seeing that. We should regularly be seeing people coming to Christ, uh, maturing, coming out, out of lives of whatever, insert whatever, and who are lowly, humble, rejected. Uh, we use the term, you know, in American culture or whatever, called the marginalized, uh, whatever that exactly is, or whoever those people group are, I don't know. Uh, depends on who you ask. Um, but like the marginalized, the rejected, those are the people the Lord is turning into that will become the renowned of the earth, that will become the influential and the praised, right? So we should see that. That should be regular. This isn't just like theoretical. This isn't just like, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, but that should actually be happening. You know, our Lord says in Matthew 5 and uh, the Beatitudes, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right? Meekness is, is humility, it's lowliness, it's, uh, it's meekness towards God, right? He says that they're going to inherit the earth, right? The humble, the lowly, those who receive correction, who the Lord rebukes and reproves, who he brings into a point of maturity, those people will inherit the earth. That is our destiny, right? So when you think of humility... Uh, you think of, you know, teachability, you know, back in chapter 3, verses 1 and, and 2. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. And then in verse 7, uh, in chapter 3, I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. And so, just in Zephaniah, you know, there are, uh, clearly, if you look contextually in Israel, you know, in the time of Josiah, before the law has been reinstituted, there's tons of idolatry, they're killing their own children, uh, they're worshiping idols on mountains, uh, and, and tons of things, but the only thing Zephaniah comes with a word of correction, specifically, is that they don't receive correction, right? I always, uh, I love when Josiah and other people we quote, Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves knowledge loves discipline. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates reproof is stupid, <laughs> right? And I remember like, uh, you know, when the Lord started to put that on my heart after I read it, I was like, yeah, I really need to be better at that. And then I got corrected, you know, by a boss or something uh, or somebody. And I was like, I didn't like it. And I was like, that guy's an idiot. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm being stupid. I mean, oh, oh shoot, I'm being stupid. I'm not supposed to say crap uh, from the pulpit. But, uh, 
I'll correct myself on that one. Uh, but, right, it's, that's the only word of correction the Lord has through Zephaniah, not even concerning idolatry, you know, through the whole book. It's whoever receives correction, and that is a major way. And when we think about how the grace of the Lord is, like, streaming to the earth, really, like, when you think about how are this ragtag group of, like, prostitutes and tax collectors and fishermen going to inherit the earth, right? And then, you know, the book of Acts gives us a lot of clues to that and being filled with the Holy Spirit and going and preaching the gospel and uh, living in a, in a biblical community lifestyle and all these things. But if you're not seeing this in your life of being humble and lowly and receiving correction and rebuke and then becoming more influential and growing, there is a problem. If you're not growing in maturity, if you're not growing in influence, if you're not growing in something in a biblical sense, then there is a problem because the Lord promises it and he commands it. And he says all those who are humble, who are lowly, he's going, that's the remnant he is leaving. He wants to work with the worst people. He wants to work with the lowliest people. Uh, and they're going to be honest about it. And those are the people he's going to use to grow and spread the gospel and influence the rest of the earth. And that's who he wants to give the earth to, is the humble, the lowly. He wants to show more grace to that. So that's our call, you know, in Christendom, but that's our call as a church, is to remain lowly, seek the Lord, receive his correction, receive his rebuke, uh, and, then, uh, and then go from there, uh, strengthen our hands, and he's going to empower us and equip us uh, to defeat every enemy, right? So we should be seeing that. There is, um, you know, that's uh, in, you know, in uh, a, a physical human's life, that if they're like, you know, 14, 15, and, you know, they stop growing at that point, there's a problem, right? Oh, their growth is stunted. There's an issue. There's a medical problem uh, that keeps them from growing. And so I was just discussing this, uh, with Noel, and we, had a, we were driving back from Columbus yesterday, and and so you guys remember when John the Baptist came preaching? Uh, it goes along with our Advent because John the Baptist is preaching the the Christ, and he says, uh, "Who fled you, or who warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" You know, it's a very popular message again. And he said, "You know, the axe is laid at the root." And so there's tons of different horticulture metaphors and different things in scriptures, but you know, in your life when it comes to maturity, you can see how much Christ reigns in your life of whether you're cutting the, uh, the root of, of sin, of, of bitterness, of hating correction, of insert anything, you know, is this tree. If you prune the branches, that's how much it's going to rule over your life. Is it's going to be a full tree and you're going to prune the branches, and you're going to allow it to do that. If you cut it, you know, uh, at the trunk, you know, four feet up, that's how much it's going to rule in your life, right? That's how much it's going to be allowed to grow, and you might might have that much, but then you, when you see it, you know, starting to sprout, uh, then you'll cut it, right? It's still going to rule in your life. But, you know, John the Baptist used the analogy of cutting it at the root. You know, as soon as it comes into your life, Christ empowers you to defeat that enemy, Right? Uh, those things are like we're the army of God. He's reigning in the midst. You can see in 
uh, in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, he says the exact same thing, that the, the Lord is seated in the midst. There's no more night. There's no need for the sun because the Lord is reigning and he's in our midst, right? And he talks about this heavenly Jerusalem, uh, which I think points to the church and us now, is that we're going to reign. We're going to defeat enemies. We're going to rule over sin. Um, and we're going to win. And that's what we're called because the king is in our midst. He's here. That's why we sing. And so when we come here in a little bit and sing, uh, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it's, because the, it's not just because the king was, is here and that's really cool and I like that theoretically, is he is actually saving us from everything. There isn't one area of sin or one enemy in our, uh, in our world that isn't going to come under his rule and domain. And as we come and sing, we're worshiping the Christ that is really here and is really winning. Uh, even in the midst of, if it looks like defeat, you know, what do we do as an army? We kind of re-examine, like, wow, well, why is that happening? And there might be some different strategic things, but that's only to, that's only, the only reason why armies do that is because they're going to win, or they want to win, and they're going to re-examine, and then go back out and fight. And so that's what we're worshiping here this morning. That's where our joy comes from, uh, is Christ seated on his throne in our midst, defeating every enemy uh, and bringing us the earth, right? The Lord, as he um, ascended to heaven, said, all authority on earth has been given to me. Amen. Therefore, go. So we worship here, and then we go and take the authority that which Christ has given us. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit uh, to defeat every enemy as you have called us to biblically, to search your word, to take your word, uh, and use it as a sword, the sword of the Spirit, uh, in our lives, uh, in our community, in our church, uh, to defeat every enemy. Empower us by the uh, word of your grace, uh, by the spirit of your grace, to take your promises, to hold on to them, and hold fast to you through Jesus Christ. Amen.